Today's reading is Hebrews 12, 1 to 13. As for us, we have this large crowd of witnesses round us, so then let us rid ourselves of everything that gets in the way and of the sin which holds onto us so tightly, and let us run with determination the race that lies before us. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from beginning to end. He does not give up because of the cross. On the contrary, because of the joy of that that was waiting for him, he thought nothing of the disgrace of dying on the cross, and he is now seated on the right-hand side of God's throne. Think of what he went through, how he put up with so much hatred from sinners. So do not let yourself become discouraged and give up. For in your struggle against sin, you have not yet had to resist to the point of being killed. Have you forgotten that encouraging words that God speaks to you as the sons and daughters? My child, pay attention when the Lord corrects you, and do not be discouraged when he rebukes you, because the Lord corrects everyone he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as his child. Enjoy what, <clears throat> excuse me, enjoy what you suffer as being a father's punishment. Your suffering shows that God is treating you as his children. Was there ever a child who was not punished by his father? If you are not punished at his children, as his children are, it means you are not real children, but bastards. In the case of our human fathers, they punish us and we respect them. How much more, then, should we submit to our spiritual father and live? Our human fathers punish us for a short time, as it seems right to them, but God does it for our own good so that we may share his holiness. When we are punished, it seems to us at the, same, at the time sometimes to make us sad, not glad. Later, however, those who have been disciplined by such a punishment reap the peaceful rewards of a righteous life. Lift up your tired hands then and strengthen your trembling knees. Keep walking on straight paths so that the lame may foot so the lame foot may not be disabled, but instead be healed. Hello, and first off, I'm really sorry not to be with you today, but COVID has hit the Thomases again, and um, and so we're we're at home. Oh, I'm at home. Um, Today we're going to be looking at, at Hebrews chapter 12, uh, just the first part of it, verses 1 to 13. And um, for this week, Eleanor and her planning had suggested the title, Couch to 5K, God's Way. So for anyone unfamiliar with the Couch to 5K, that is um, a program or an app that has um, been developed to help people who are usually not really into exercise, so couch potatoes, um, to be able to run 5k within a, a certain amount of time and it's done um, I haven't actually done it but I understand it's done by um, a lot of kind of encouragement and and sort of coaching style and it helps you to pace yourself so you might do uh, running for a minute and then walking for a minute and a half and then building on that until you can run the full 5k now this is something I could really have done with when I was a teenager. Um, as, as a teenager at school, I was very much a sprinter. Um, and I remember the first time I attempted to do the 1500 metres, 
I set off at my 200 meter pace, which meant that around 400 meters, I was like, just collapsed on the floor, hyperventilating. Um, you know, I, I was a mess. Um, and I realized then that in order to run for longer, you can't just belt it out and go for it. It takes skill and you need to pace yourself and you need to keep going and you need to persevere. And today we're looking at this passage in Hebrews 12, which talks about running the race with perseverance. And that race is one that has been marked out for us by God, running toward the finish line of a continued life with Christ. And there are a few things which um, which come out of this, which I hope will encourage us as we go along. And I've kind of identified four main sort of things that are, that will help us to run this race which I'll I'll share with you now and then we'll sort of look at it in a bit more detail so um, the first is to get rid of sin the next is stay focused on Jesus the next is to be disciplined and the last one is to uh, find the ways or recognize the ways that you can help yourself and possibly others on the way so um so we'll just have a look through the passage and we'll see what will help us on this race um, so if we start uh, with verse one, obviously we have a therefore where we ask, "What is this therefore?" Um, and it and it's therefore it's there to link us back to the previous passage, which we looked at a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago with Eleanor, where we looked at the heroes of the faith, um, and so the writer um, previously was reminding the readers about all those Old Testament heroes who did amazing things, but also made huge sacrifices in their walks of faith. Um, and they had not received the full blessing, he said, because that only came through Christ. And this section now starts, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So the writer is referring back to those heroes of faith as this great cloud of witnesses. And, um, and I think it's significant that he says we are surrounded. So he identifies himself with those to whom he's writing, which I think would have been a really big encouragement to those believers as they received this letter. And when he says a great cloud of witnesses, I don't think he means like a fluffy angelic cloud of people watching over them and kind of soft focus imagery, you know. Um, I think it's supposed to give us this idea of of vastness and kind of um, amongness, and um, <clears throat> and the witnesses, and they're, they're 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 like in solidarity with those Christians who are running the race, and the witnesses are witnessing to those in the race by their historic faith, often in, encouraging by their example. So that's huge, isn't it? Like we're we're not alone. We we recall those who have gone before us as an encouragement. And then he talks about throwing off the things that hinder and the sin that entangles us so that the race is one that we can manage, that we, that we can persevere in running. And he uses this picture of getting rid of the stuff we don't need to carry to, so that we can run the race effectively. I have an older brother, James, who is one of those total bonkers nutter runners so he just does you know like ridiculous races ultra marathon type things and last year he competed uh, completed the bob graham round which is up in the lake district where he ran 66 miles up the 42 higher peaks of the lake district in 24 hours and um and he completed that within the 24 hours which was 
brilliant. Well done. Um, when completing in races like that Bob Graham round, James doesn't have like a kit bag on his back. He has to run with the absolute bare minimum he can carry. Um, he has just a bum bag on that race. He had just a bum bag with like a lightweight rain waterproofing and a bottle of special like fueling drink. And, and he also had a support team and places that he could stop along along the route to refuel. So he doesn't carry the stuff he doesn't need or stuff that will slow him down or trip him up. And that's what the writer's talking about, not carrying the stuff we don't need to, the stuff that's going to make it difficult for us. And, do you know, the writer, when he talks about the sins, he doesn't list what those sins might be. So it's not like in Galatians where Paul talks about the, the sinful nature and he lists the acts of the sinful nature. Rather, the writer here leaves it open to interpretation what those sins that entangle might be. And I wonder if that's because they're so varied for everyone. You know, there there are different people who struggle with different sins. At um, college, our principal each year, um, I've heard he... he presents this talk called money sex and power to the new ministerial students and he does it um in a way to, to he's identified these three things as the big temptations for ministers and i think probably for all people but actually there are so many different sins and different temptations and uh, and we all react differently to them so so for others it might be other sins that entangle you know selfishness or laziness or a lack of self-control. We all have different sins that are more likely to entangle us and cause us to be distracted from the race that we're running. And we need to be honest with ourselves about what those areas of, uh, of our lives where sins can entangle us are. And I think that image of entanglement in a kind of a gardening way is really helpful. You know, I um, have so many weeds in my garden, partly because I'm really really fond of bees and I think that they should have access to everything but mostly because I'm not very good at gardening and weeding but um but they these weeds that some of them will just come up they'll be quite subtle they'll like come up just as a little bud and you think oh that's fine it's nothing and you leave it and soon enough it's you know wrapped itself all around the raspberry canes and it's choking the life out of the other plants that you really want to grow you know and, and once it's got a hold it's really hard to get rid of so what appeared to be harmless is really destructive and sin is like that you know it can start subtly it can seem more harmless enough it's not that big a deal but it can choke and entangle and and ruin what what is trying to to develop and what's trying to grow so you know i just really think that it's important to try and recognize what those sins are for us that do easily entangle us the ones that, that are the ones that really get us and um and i think if we can identify what they are i'd really encourage us to to share that with somebody else um you know to who, who might be able to support you in keeping that thrown off because you know, like with James, my brother, as he's as he's running, he has a support team. You know, sometimes that's made up of two people. But it's made up of two people who run alongside him for different sections of the race, carrying some of the extra stuff for him. And it's also made up of people who he stops with along the way who will give him food and drink and refuel him. You know, that's why we belong in churches and communities, so we can support each other as well. You know, we're not running this race alone. But... I also want to say, don't be discouraged um, 
if it's hard to do you know shaking these things off it is hard to do but you just got to keep trying the words used in the original text imply a kind of an ongoing continual process keep throwing off those sins keep letting go of the stuff that is hindering you and also remember those heroes of the faith that we looked at last time all amazing people all all you know really good people of faith massively used by god all sinners you know jacob was a liar joseph was a show-off samson kept on messing up with the sexual desires david went and murdered an innocent man to try and cover up previous sins you know none of these people listed among the great heroes of faith was perfect and had their life sorted and we won't be either but if we can recognize where we struggle and we can then ask for help you know both from god but also from those around us so throw it off don't be entangled by it but also know that god can use you despite it it's just a lot easier to run without that rubbish and another thing is the race is marked out for us we don't get to choose the race we run you know god has already marked out for us and it requires commitment and it requires endurance and it's not an easy run And like I said before, I was a sprinter and I often still find I have that mindset. You know, I want a quick effort and a quick reward. That's not what this race is like. It's a long haul. It's ongoing and it requires us to persevere, to keep going. The writer then, he encourages us to look toward the finish line, to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And this is so important. You know, when you go to school sports days, sometimes you'll look and um, look at the children running along the line and you'll see them and they're like checking who else is there as, as they're running up towards the, the finish line. You know, am I going to beat Joe who's next door? And you know what I mean? And they just, they're just trotting along together and, and looking where they are in the, in the race. And, and the writer's saying, don't do that. Just look to the finish line. Don't look to the side. You don't need to compare yourself to everybody else keep looking to Jesus and it's interesting that the writer says Jesus he doesn't say to Christ or to the king he says Jesus he uses his name his personal name and I think that's significant it identifies this personal relationship we can have with him um, if I think back to my children's earliest sports days I can remember Amy when she was sort of in preschool um, at sports day and I would as a slightly competitive parent stand at the finish line going come on Amy you can do it and she'd be there like walking with her thumb in her mouth toddling towards me but she was not entirely sure what was going on or why she was there but as I encouraged her and and you know was rooting for her she then made her way towards me because she could see me and she loved me and she knew me and she trusted me and so she came towards me And that's what we need to be doing. We need to be focusing on Jesus, the one who knows us, the one we love, the one we can trust, because he's there at the finish line, encouraging us on. He's with us. He's ahead of us. He's leading us. So we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. And it's strange to us, because, but, but there's a theme in the New Testament of joy and suffering being linked. Jesus was able to undergo his suffering 
because he could see the bigger joy that awaited him. And that joy just took precedence over everything else. So he was able to scorn the shame of the cross. And some versions say despise or endure that shame. And the cross was a shameful way to die. It was an executionary tool that was created and designed to humiliate as well as to kill. And for the Hebrews who received that letter, they had the additional shame that they had based on the scriptures from Deuteronomy, where it says that anyone hung on a tree was under God's curse. Crucifixion was a humiliating way to die, but even more so for a Jew. That was of no consequence, the writer says, compared to the joy that Jesus recognised was set before him and it led him to the right hand of God. So the passion of Christ, that journey to the cross through the shame, took him to joy and to exaltation. And I guess that's something for us to remember as we're going through times of trial and suffering, times when life is hard, that there is that promise of joy to come. So let's hold on to that hope as we keep looking towards Jesus. The writer encourages his readers to consider him who endured such opposition. And the the Greek word for consider there is kind of a mathematical term. It's a kind of reckoning, it's a careful assessment. Weigh up his endurance against your own hardships in order that you may not grow weary and lose faith, lose heart. Sorry, this isn't... uh, I don't think to make us feel bad that our struggles aren't as significant as Jesus's, but it's to see him as one to imitate in his patience and in his endurance. <clears throat> because actually it's it's usually over time, isn't it, that we lose heart. It's not just a one-off thing that happens. It's It's a gradual thing that happens over time. But by considering Jesus and keeping our eyes on him and watching how he endured and how he was so patient we also will not grow weary or lose heart. After all, we, like the Hebrew Christians, he points out, have not resisted to the point of losing blood. Though, as we know, throughout the world, there are people in that position and we do need to keep supporting them through prayer and in other means. And then we have this section about discipline. And I thought it was interesting, the writer quotes from Proverbs and then he goes on to explain it in more detail. And and often through the book of Hebrews, we've seen the writer will like quote something or refer to something that we don't understand because he assumes an awful lot that his readers already know. Um, but here he's clear, he quotes from Proverbs and then he explains what he means as he shares how the, the struggles they're going through at the time were like being disciplined by a loving parent. And we, I think, have a kind of an inbuilt dislike of discipline. I, I think it's probably had quite a bad press through, you know, early 20th century headmasters with canes and uh, Victorian children should be seen and not heard kind of ideas. And we've re- rebelled against a lot of that, and I think quite rightly in many cases. Um, but sometimes maybe we've gone too far and um, and actually we really need to recognise the value of discipline. And the writer here connects discipline with love and how a father who loves his children will discipline them. We live by quite a busy road and as our, when our children were small they had to learn the discipline of holding our hands as we walked across the road to our house. When we would go to the beach they had to learn the discipline of waiting for one of their parents to be ready to go into the sea with them. 
This is because we wanted them to be safe, because we love them. And the discipline spoken of is not that of the headmaster with a cane, but that of a parent who wants the best of his children. He wants the best out of his children too. The writer assumes that the, the readers of this letter value discipline, that they received discipline from their fathers and they respected it. They respected them for it, sorry. And, um, and he asks, how much more should we, res- should we submit to the father of spirits? If we respect our human fathers who are fallible and make mistakes, how much more should we respect our heavenly father who is perfect and whose discipline is for our good to make us more like him? Verse 10 says, so that we might share in his holiness. But the writer isn't flippant or silly about it. He recognises that discipline is tough at the time. It's painful. And also sometimes we can only recognise the value of it after the fact. And he returns to that sporting metaphor as he talks about those who have been trained by discipline, receiving a harvest of righteousness and peace. He does like to mix his metaphors, doesn't he? Sports and harvest here. But, you know, don't fruit trees need training? I'm sure I've read that. They, you, you can train fruit trees and that helps them to produce a better harvest. Allowing ourselves to be trained, to be disciplined, will enable us to keep going in our race of faith and to produce good results. I actually had that verse read to me this week in my ministerial formation group. Um, so I meet with a group of um, some of you from the church, thank you, um, who you know, meet with me every couple of months and um, and support me and check in and challenge me. And it's a really valuable uh, thing that, that I have going on. So um, thank you. Um, but I was sharing about how in the process of ministry formation that I'm going through, there's a lot of self-reflection we do. And, um, and it's a lot like being like a rough stone that's being chipped away at and sort of smoothed out. And it's quite painful at times. And this verse was read to me and was a great encouragement. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Hold on to that. I know I will be. And so we read on. Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but healed. And these um, Old Testament quotes are from Isaiah and Proverbs and would have been recognised by the original readers. And there's this kind of imperative here to keep going. It's like a mind over matter. Come on, you can do it. That image of feeble hands or arms and weak knees are kind of indicative of lowered spirits, aren't they? Like if I said to you, show me how you feel when you're downhearted. You probably go a bit like, a bit floppy and weak and floppy, feeble arms, weak knees. It's an image of giving upness. Don't give up, he says. Keep going, pull your socks up. Come on, you can do this. Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Mind over matter. Sometimes we need someone to come alongside us and encourage us, don't we? And that's what the writer's doing. He's coming to the re- to the readers and saying, come on, you can do this. Yes, the discipline's hard. No, it's not an easy race, but you can do it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Have you ever seen those, those marathon races on TV sometimes? And there'll be somebody sometimes who, like within sight of the finish line, just collapses. It's all become too much. And people gather around them. Other runners gather around them. People on the sidelines are yelling at them, come on, get up, keep going strengthen those feeble arms and weak knees 
that's what the writer's doing here. It's a tough race. It's hard going, but you're doing it. Come on, keep going. And it says also, though, keep an eye on the path in front of you. Watch out for those things that might trip you up, those potholes, those stumbling blocks. Do what you can to avoid them. Make that path straight. You know, those might be... They might be sins that are a danger to you, to us that might reach up and entangle us or they might be just temporary distractions from what we're doing. Whatever they are, we need to recognise them and clear them out. And again, remember, you're not doing this alone. So share, you know, use the community you're in. Identify a friend you can be accountable to about this. I think so often in life we think things have to be harder than they do. The writer's saying just make it easier, get rid of the rubbish make the path smooth before you and he says by doing so so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed and I wonder if it's because sometimes like when we make that path smoother for ourselves when we identify the things that hinder us and we move them out of the way we make it not just easier for ourselves but also maybe for those coming after us you know we just as we look back to those great heroes of the faith whether it's those in scripture or those known to us personally but there are people coming after us who please God might look to us one day as heroes of faith if we can have cleared a way for them if we can have made things easier on the race for them <coughs> so I've, I've been talking too long sorry by way of review where have we got to Jesus is at the finishing line, encouraging us. We're not alone. We have that heritage of the saints who have gone before us, that great cloud of witnesses, both those shared with us in scripture and those throughout history known to us and unknown. And we have access to a support team through, that, through our church family. The race isn't easy. We do need to persevere. We need to get rid of sin. We need to stay disciplined. Recognise how we can help each other on the journey. Always recognising that we are running towards that finish line. Keeping our eyes focused there. Always looking to Jesus, who is encouraging us on towards him. We can do it because he has gone ahead of us and he is with us. As the song says... To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Amen. <laughs>